What's up, everybody? This is my interview with Rick Chan and Eric Dandridge. And in this one, we're going deep into the future of NFTs. I won't tell you too much about it because it's pretty complex, but Rick's been in this since the beginning. Rick was part of the original Curio team. And Eric is really somebody who's pushing the envelope of what NFTs can be. He's releasing an NFT this week, so I really want to get this podcast episode out before then so people can learn a little bit about him and about what he's doing. Uh, we get in the weeds about where we think NFTs and the whole crypto space is going. Um, I think you're really going to enjoy this interview with Rick and Eric. Well, let's let's just start with that then. Let's start that because that's a yeah. great place to start. Sure. Um, yep. if, if you want to just give me the 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 brief overview of how you got involved, because Curio is one of my like favorite uh, revival NFT projects. How you got involved with the Curio team and, and what part you played, kind of with those guys and, and launching that that project in 2017. Sure. Um, so with those guys, I mean, we were all working together before. <laughs> We've done things together. Um, so I was part of SF Bitcoin Social. Um, I was part of it informally and then became part of it formally. And SF Bitcoin Social, I worked with Travis and uh, Thomas. I wanted to call them Mad Bitcoins. Right. Um, so we worked together. They had a problem at one point where Coinbase backed out and we had to find new sponsors. And I, I was the one that brought in the new sponsors to keep mm -hmm. it going. And then when you know, we were forming Curio Cards, they needed kind of an advisor to help. And so I've done, you know, startups, I've done crypto startups, and then other things. So I came in, I also was the one that brought Crypto Pop to Curio Cards. Okay. So been involved with it in many cycles. And then um, it, it happened, I was actually up in Canada in Vancouver and went to a meet, Bitcoin meetup there and met the community manager of Crypto Kitties. Who before oh, no worked for Civic? Yeah, so it was a very small world. I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, like like you, it's one of my favorite subjects, and you know, I think uh, hopefully it'll get its recognition uh, that it deserves uh, in history because it was put in Wikipedia and then it was kind of taken out at one point, and uh, you know, see what happens. But it's all been great. It's funny how that um, you know you see the, the flaws of Wikipedia, right? <laughs> sure, it's highlighted, right? And, yep. <laughs> you know, the way I don't know, the current world is, you know, everybody is their own filter and their own media machine. Right. It's mm. so interesting and bizarre in that because we're kind of of the age, at least you and I, Rick, of where we've seen it the other way, which is right. Just a handful of people controlling everything, controlling yep. the media stream. And now it's you, you have to become your own kind of self filter for what's real and what's not real. It's, it's completely bizarre. Um, tell, tell me about like how you saw that happen in Wikipedia. Cause you guys were, I mean, you guys were curio was in like the literature for Ethereum, right? Like, I don't know how it could not be in Wikipedia. Right? Yeah. It's really strange. I mean, cause you know, we basically at that time, you know, before the 721 token was ERC 20 that we had to stitch together a couple of those, tokens to kind of make what would be a smart contract today you know right uh, and so that was all Rhett's doing that was his his brilliance I mean um so I mean it's kind of weird because all of a sudden everybody was pinging me said hey you guys are in history we see you in Wikipedia and then it was I don't know how long later they're pinging me like hey <laughs> you've been removed or something <laughs> 
And then I was like, but it's in the blockchain. Like, is it, if it's in the blockchain that, you know, it shows that we predated others. And, but, you know, th- these things do happen. <laughs> it's funny. It's like, so, so actually it brings up this question of even if it is on the blockchain, which blockchain enthusiasts, like kind of all of us sitting here are like, no, it's on the blockchain. Therefore it is. But exactly. not, but that's not really true, is it? Sure. No, it is. It, it, well, same things happens. I mean, if you look at electricity and everything else, everybody is, oh yeah, you know, Thomas Edison did it. And you're like, no, it's really Nicholas Tesla. <laughs> you know, so these things do happen. And unfortunately, unfortunately, history can repeat itself in different ways or rhymes. Yep. I actually, for, for all the people who talk about it negatively, I actually think it's really positive right now because back in those days, like the person with the biggest megaphone, I, I mean, p- people with the biggest megaphone still win today, but at least there's an alternative voice and the actual individual has the opportunity to get their voice heard, at least to try uh, sure. to put their kind of voice out there. While back in the day, I don't know with, I don't know what I was watching the other day with Edison and the light bulb. It was like, oh yeah, but he was the 18th person who did the light bulb, right? But he, <laughs> you know, he sold it right. Um, exactly. Which is, is super, I don't know. It's it's one of these fascinating, I mean, what we're going through now, right now is fascinating. And I think people historically will look back on it and like, wow, we're just trying to figure it out right now. Do you guys, no, exactly. you guys have a, a, a theory or a way that you think is going to, how do you, I guess both of you, give me your perspective, because this is something I would like to know. Give me your perspective on that question of where do you, looking back from a lens of 30, 30 years out from now, how do you think people are going to view the way we handled it now? And what do you think it's going to look like in 30 years from now? Well, I think it's going to change a lot. Um, some unknown, I think NFTs are here to stay. Uh, art NFTs, it's going to be interesting because right now there's depending on which platforms you look at, sometimes there's over 200 categories, you know, which is mind boggling. And, you know, so which ones will stay, which ones will be successful, you don't know. I don't think it completely levels the playing field, but I think it makes unknown or less known artists more able to get discovered than they were before. So it makes it way more fair. Um, And then as far as what NFTs could be used for, I, you know, there's an art use, there's a gaming use, there's a real estate use, but at some point, you know, whether it's for the artist too, it's, I don't think it's down the road it's going to be called, you know, an art NFT or you're an NFT artist. It's just, you're an artist. You don't mm-hmm. call it by the technology. But right now, I think you need a way to differentiate it and for people to easily find it because it's still very nascent, even though you know, it's been around for over four years. Yep. Uh, so I'm really excited and stoked and happy to be part of this journey and, you know, thrilled to be talking to you and, and Eric too. So that's kind of my take. Yeah. So tell me, Eric, how how you met Rick and how this kind of all fits. If you want to give me like a little bit of your background sure. so the listeners kind of understand where you're coming from and where where how you ended up where you currently are. Absolutely. Rick and I went to boarding school together. So we go way back over wow. 30 years, Mercersburg Academy. Yes. I was born into a diplomatic family. I was born in Taipei, Taiwan. So that, I think, gives some insight into how it was conceptually easy for me to not easy, but possible for me to move to Medellin. Grew up in France, um, in Greece, then went to Mercersburg College and Business School in the Northeast at Harvard. Educationally, uh, was a history major, then did, as many folks do, the two-year thing at Goldman Sachs in mergers and acquisitions, which is terrific because I think a lot of what's happening now, I got to see there 
in the buying and selling of companies and looking at industry structure and the reason why things prevail to your conversation earlier about it's not always the innovator or the, the idealist, it's the people who are the most ruthless in a good way, in a Machiavellian strong sense that often prevail. That's just the nature of the way these things often unfold. Um, but the creative side of me wanted to, to express itself. So I, I, I ended up taking my first job after my MBA at Motown working for the chairman. And that connects to this conversation because I was in the music business right at the time when the majors dropped the ball in the digitization of music. So that connects into my answer to your question, which is I think the, the people who will benefit most from NFTs are the people who are paradigmatically or paradigmatically able to make the adjustment. And you're already seeing that, right? The majors have no incentive whatsoever economically to do it. It's, a, it's, it's an eerie echo of what they did then. They found this great hustle where now they have even more industry con con concentration. There's three of them. And they push all the music into this blender where effectively the person who programs the playlist has the most power and they're giving artists 0.000084 per stream if you can even identify the stream. They don't want to see a world where someone like me or Rick can create our content and go directly to the marketplace and monetize it. Yeah. So I think that you're going to see more of that. I think eventually they'll get into it through brute force out of necessity. And then I think globally, you've already seen it and we'll echo what we've seen in crypto. The places in the world where there aren't infrastructure barriers to adoption, Africa, Eastern Europe, Asia, they're going to leapfrog, I think, in a lot of ways and be ahead of more traditional um areas of the world where, where there's just, there's inertia, there's an investment in the old way of doing things. That's my take. It, it, there's so many different dimensions. I don't know what the future will look like, but yep. instinctively, I think at the level of the individual and globally, that's what I, who I think will be most likely to embrace this. It's interesting. I'm, I'm fascinated now that you've mentioned you worked in the music industry because I'm kind of helping a, a company right now is trying to do a, an NFT platform for starting with at least musicians, just focusing niche musicians only to kind of make this bridge right between the musicians and the fans. And for me, looking at it from, I kind of look at it from a larger perspective of NFTs and I, I'm so NFTs and art. Yeah. That's the first, like that's the first salvo. Right. But it's so much bigger in my, in my view. Um, but trying to create this bridge and, and getting artists to understand that it's a bridge. Um, and, but why would the music industry, who's already been completely taken to the woodshed at least once in the last you know, two decades, why wouldn't they be like, ooh, this is something, let's move all in on this because this is at least to keep our leadership position, use their funding and, and actually build something now ahead of the game. Why wouldn't they do that? My, my observation has to do with the incentives of the executives themselves, right? It, it doesn't happen in isolation. They are compensated and measured on an existing structure. It would mean one, they have to let go of, an, of, a, of a paradigm that works for them, something that they're very comfortable with. There's a lot of risk. It means they have to learn something new. And in terms of the pure economics as it stands, their sense is probably they're gonna have to give up more. What they're not thinking about, which I think you're alluding to, is the upside. What can it create? The executives, with rare exception, aren't necessarily on the vanguard of thinking, right? You had great people like Ahmet Erdogan, 
or my boss, Clarence Avant, who is sort of the, the black godfather who owned his own company before he became chairman of Motown, who actually loved music. But a lot of times, and I think this is true in film and in publishing, and these are smart people, but they aren't necessarily visionary. Sure. So that's, I think, in aggregate, why? They've got a great system. Streaming right now, they make a million dollars an hour, the majors do. They're taking the majority of that. Right. That's why. Okay. Okay. It's interesting. I, I, um, yeah, it's so fascinating. I, I, I saw, uh, it's an old, old, obviously old time interview with, uh, David Bowie. And there's this great clip of David Bowie talking about art in general. And he's talking more about like high art paintings and stuff like that, where it's in the industry's best interest to, to quickly elevate talent and then destroy the rest of the talent. Meaning you're either at the top or you're nothing. Right. And I think I'm hearing that I'm like, wow, that really is, and it's across all in, all art industry. In, in music, you, you just you elevate the top, and everybody else disappears. And he was like, he was talking about, I think Basquiat, who was a um, uh, a graffiti artist. Mm -hmm. Like, why is it that there were you know five thousand graffiti artists, and a whole bunch of them were fully talented and amazing, but Basquiat's the one everybody knows. Why is that? You know, and it's like, oh, it just it, for me, that was like the moment where it clicked for me that it's in their interest to destroy the rest right. um, because you can then elevate and That's charge right. for the top. That's right. And everybody else who could be an artist and could make a living doing what they love is forced to go work at Starbucks. Right. So my view is like, well, how can we just say, oh, no, there there may still be the tippy top, you know, world beaters. But there's going to be a whole lot of people who can actually make a living doing what they love. And I think for me, at the core of art NFTs, that's what that's what it's all about. Do you guys feel right. the same kind of thing? No, I totally I'm agree with you. I think with Best Squad, I mean, what was ironic in some ways was, you know, while he was alive, a lot of times he was never recognized as a great artist. They're like, ah. And then after he passed away, you know, he died 27, so young. Uh, then they said he was great, but still his his some of his work majority of his work or actually all of it i've heard has never been featured in museum modern art so it's been featured in other museums around the world so i don't think he still got his recognition that he should have gotten uh but with nfts i i do think it so i've, I've talked we talked to a lot of artists in our company so this is you know um nft ventures miami's we, so we just go by nftv miami for short we talked to artists all over the world and you know, we're, we're trying to do where we have two clubhouse rooms. We just launched this last week. So we're very, you know, been researching for over five months now. But so in our Tuesday rooms, we have artists that we can launch that can be with us. They don't have to be with us. They can just come in if they're on right now, Hickenook and Calumet, come in and drop or get advice or talk or chill. Thursdays, we have our exclusive artists like Eric uh, with his collab and you know, then we, they're one of our clients that we help and we do the marketing, the PR, everything else. But I do think, you know, that all these artists are able to do better than they were. Cause you know, I talked to a lot of artists, whether they're doing music or, you know, cause of what's going on right now with all the lockdowns and everything that it's hard because they're like, before I was making a fair amount of money or steady money selling at the gallery. And now my income is five to 15% of that. Or we're talking to other musicians and they said, I'm totally kind of crushed because we'd play live can't really do that and then we'd make the money selling merchandise we're not playing live so we're you know so i think there are ways for them to 
you know, capitalize and do what they love. And I think this is great. And I think everything got accelerated, you know, because of lockdowns with crypto, COVID, everything else. And then also, you know, I think this is why on, on certain parts, we are not exclusive, but we're more focused on Asia as far as the buyers and the sellers, more so the buyers because they adopt technology first. So um, if you look at the biggest buyers, they're definitely in Asia. You know, the, the one that sold for over 69 million, you know, that was in Singapore, the one for 50 million, that was in mainland China. But even if you look underneath the covers for volume, I mean, you get surprised. It's like Australia, Japan, Taiwan, Hong Kong, Singapore, and then probably some China too. And it's just because, you know, their technology and their adoption curve is lower. Like if you look at back in the day, or even South Korea, and you look there back in the day, this is like six years ago, who was doing the most trading in crypto um, in Korea? And you were shocked. It was kind of like the gamers. So 13 mm -hmm. to 23, and then the grandmas. And you're like, the grandmas? Well, they have an investment club and they would be buying and selling. And, and so I was talking to a lot of grandmas because back then I worked with a mobile wallet company. And you're like, why do you do this? They're like, well, we have to invest in something and we have enough equity. We have enough of this and that. And, you know, we're collecting a few cryptos. We're not really a maxi. We're not, but, you know, I want each one of my grandkids to have at least one. And back then, you know, one Bitcoin wasn't as much, but they, they bought and sold a lot. And I was surprised at their level of sophistication, having worked in Wall Street, you know, on the hedge fund side and also uh, running money and asset management and other things. So I think it's, you know, it, it's pretty cool. But I think U.S. is, as long as, you know, the regulators um, understand the technology and hopefully don't push the, the technologists and the innovation outside. Um, mm -hmm. And then you see certain countries that, flip-flop like India. <laughs> and then now it's very exciting with Latin America and the Caribbean, you know, really, I mean, the Caribbean's always kind of been there. Uh, actually, they were my early clients when I worked at Alpha Point, this, this uh, startup called BITT, you probably heard of them. Um, so, but right now with, you know, Latin America, I mean, basically Bitso came up and they had just gotten their Series C funding from Panera, Pantera, sorry, Pantera Capital. Mm -hmm. And they'd said, oh, yeah, we do this exchange. They're the biggest exchange in Latin America. And at the end, NASA said they did NFTs. And it was just like when they were interviewing the CEO of Ledger for the hardware wallet. And he was saying, well, yeah, we do all this other stuff. And we also, you can also store your NFTs. And we think your NFTs are here to stay too. And so I think it's really exciting to see how these things will play out. Yeah. Well, I can tell you for right now, nobody in Latin America knows about this stuff. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's, it's so, we're that. so early. It, we're so early. It. It's like no, not I don't even... know any buyers yet, but I, I work with some artists and they are, well, we, we haven't, you know, we're trying to figure out where they might launch, but I'm finding artists everywhere. I think it's just like uh, there's talent everywhere, but sometimes it's hard, even harder for them. Like, um, you know, we've, we've talked to, um, I can't reveal it right now because we haven't, it, it's still in process, but somebody you know and I know, and he basically said, hey, I have other artists here. And, but I want to, like a chef, you know, I want to taste your cooking first mm -hmm. and I like your cooking. I will, I will bring these other artists to you. Uh, it's, it's, you know, in Asia, um, it's a person I talked about a moment ago, at least a little bit alluded to. And he basically said that he would bring other artists and some of them are, are lesser known or struggling. And he's like, will you work with them? I'm like, absolutely. You know, sure. so it's the, the, yeah, the idea of, of, who are the buyers right now? And yeah. I mean, in my view, it's all crypto people, 
like the mainstream has not even they're not even on well, the, I, the market. I think yet. yes and no. I, I think mostly I agree with Except you. maybe for the high end. I should correct that. For the high end, yes. The high end art buyer or something, they may be in, right? Well, but other I think than how that. NFTs in some ways uh, outpaced uh, crypto or Bitcoin. And it's not nothing against Bitcoin. I love Bitcoin. But um, was when Saturday Night Live did their skit. Mm -hmm. And then all these people. And a lot of them are young. So in Asia, we're talking to the NFT buyers. A lot of them are like 13 to 27 or 29. Sure. And like, well, why, why are you, how'd you get into crypto? And they're like, I did it to buy an NFT. <laughs> and so it's kind of the other way around. Yeah. Um, and even now you talk to other people and they're like, yeah, I saw the skit. And so now I'm talking to my teenager and they want to buy an NFT. And I'm looking at how do you buy an NFT? And most places don't take credit cards. And they're like, so now I'm researching Ethereum, Tezos, and you know, other ones, Wax, or and then you know, probably uh, Bitcoin is coming, is what I've heard the platform yep. for. Yep. Yeah, it's it the you know, crypto really needed this. It really, really needed this. Uh, it needed something to compel people to figure <laughs> the stuff out because it's still complicated. I mean, we're so early still yeah. it's complicated to get a MetaMask wallet. And then how do I get money into it? You know, all that's, you know, how do I get ETH into it? And then, Oh crap, I didn't get enough ETH into it to, you know, do the transit, you know, all this stuff that you have to learn. Yeah. We're so early, right? I'm, I'm looking at like, no, when is this like one button easy? When is this easy? And mm, it's still yeah. not easy. Any of you, any of you, what are your guys view on when this is going to be easy? I think I think it's I'll defer to Rick on that uh, chronologically, but just wanted to echo something you were saying is that giving people an incentive to do it for something they are already do right, rather than as an end in itself, just oh buy crypto for the sake of crypto. That's right. a huge enabling tool. People like to collect things; they like to collect art. So I think that facilitates it. And I defer to Rick. We've had these conversations. I think there is a lot of work to be done in making it mainstream friendly, right? Mm -hmm. Like the light switch. You don't want to know that you're getting power from a grid, from a hydroelectric hydroelectric plant that's through a distributed network. You want the light to work. And that's I think right. that's where we need to be. And I defer to Mr. Uh, Rick's good offices on the win of that. But I think this is catalytic to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I hope nine months from now, but maybe I'm being a little too optimistic. Nine months? Uh. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, I mean, that, you know, that, that's the, you know, VC side of me in the past, I guess, that you hope things happen quicker, but sure. you never know. I mean, because sometimes you can have leaders, especially in crypto or NFTs, and they're the leaders for a while, and then all of a sudden <laughs> they get leapfrogged 18 yep. months later. And then you're like, what company, you, you know, yeah, yeah. or new people jumping in going, oh, I've never heard of that company. <laughs> you know? No, I so mean, I that's the beauty of what, when all this money comes into a space to build, like it is right now, I get that feeling like there's just a ton of people building stuff. Sure. We know because we've been through these cycles that most of it's not going to work. Right. Sure. And most of it's going to fail out, but the building itself will just propel everybody forward. And, and that I'm super psyched about. Like, even though I'm working with a company and your guys are starting new companies and we all know that these, you know, there's a high likelihood that these are going to fail. But sure. uh, along that path, you know, there are going to be some massive winners and the winners are just going to be like, I mean, you, this is why we're all building, right? It's like, well, not Absolutely. maybe the only reason, but <laughs> sure. it is a distinct, you know, right. force that 
we know that if we happen to be on one of the winning teams, oh my God, right, right? It's life-changing. And it's, it no. sounds cliche, but if you offer true value and you yeah. identify a point of disruption in the value chain, and I don't know what your model is, but I would say it seems like you're in a good place because the record industry has been pathologically broken for decades, right? Right. The other piece, the corollary to the why is because that takes away their magic dust if artists can do it themselves. To your point about they want to smash it down, they want to do that for the economics, but also for the perception that we're the only place that can do this. Right. We're right. The yes. You have to be anointed by one of the big three. The last thing in the world they want is for the next U2 and the next Nickelback and the next uh, uh, Childish Gambino from Jump to be able to take their content, monetize it and shape their own career. So if you're in that space and you're de-infantilizing artists to scale, you're in a very good position. Mike, my, my, the thing that I'm struggling with, uh, my, my thing that my brain is not wrapping itself around completely, and maybe you guys can give me your opinions on this, is that <clears throat> take an artist, say he's talented, and there are lots of talent, but say this guy's really talented. What's the way we can give him the tools to properly use NFTs to actually build a fan base and an audience? Like how, like art, like I, I look at it like this. There are very, 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 very few artists who have the talent to also be the marketing mm -hmm. and, you know, to manage their community and do, they're very few, right? Mm -hmm. so how can I facilitate making that easier, better, stronger, faster for them to facilitate the spreading of their art? Like, what are your guys' ideas on something like that? Well, I mean, that's kind of what we do. I mean, so we do the media, we do PR, we also help them and guide them. Um, and then the other part, which is a different black box, you know, we do our best uh, to find buyers. And then sometimes we also have traders, but a lot of the traders don't want to be known. So when we were, this is, you know, we're different backgrounds that I've worked in, because I used to be actually a photographer a long time ago. But when I'm talking to different traders and asset managers of family offices, they go, we, I see this next asset class, NFTs. And they're like, I want to trade it. And then some of the family offices I'm working with also want to build a portfolio. Um, so I, I think it's, you know, interesting and it's going to continue to change. Um, as far as helping the artists, you, you do the best you can. And then, you know, we're not, we're not their wealth manager, private banker, although I've done that role too, but <laughs> you know, you, you, you basically, you, you, I guess, you know, you'd probably try to match them up with somebody that you trust. And I know some people that, you know, you'd recommend and have them, you know, um, hopefully do well um, yep. because a lot of people that make, even a lot of people that make their money, they, they end up unfortunately either making really bad investments or I hate to say this, spending like a drunken sailor. So they could make over a hundred million and in a few years they're bankrupt or, you know, poorer than poor, which is mm -hmm. really, really sad. It happens to so many pro athletes, so many musicians, so many different artists, you know. One of my, one of my, um, ideas and it may be crazy stupid i don't know uh is that the using the nft as a way for an artist to kind of build a team so for example uh if an artist has launches or wants to launch a song and just let's just take a song right and he wants to have art to go with that with that nft 
he works with an artist, right? That artist becomes part of the payment structure within the NFT, right? And then maybe he hires a social media person and that person is also part of that NFT structure, right? So it becomes the, the kind of contract with their entire team. Do you guys think that that's something that uh, is in the future, short-term, long-term, or is that a crazy idea that'll never work? No, I have a crazier idea that piggybacks on that. So I think you have all that. Hopefully you have a smart contract so that the splits happen automatically. But let's say even before that, you have a fantasy team and you put it up there to the fans. You say, how about if I do this with this artist that does the art or 3D or you know whatever it is, vis- different visuals, these two or three people that are playing in the band and then you put it up there and you take it for a vote. It could be something like this. And then people vote and then people put their own teams together. And then that's what you, you produce, you know, multiple streams. Right. Yeah. So it's like fantasy football kind of. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> from, from my label experience, what, what I observed was each artist has something at which they are singularly really good. Right. So there's no cookie cutter. What I would suggest building on what Rick said and, and sort of to your model is you want to identify how do we complement and amplify what is unique to the market and what they like doing? Are they innately entrepreneurial? Are they innately collaborative, right? And don't inherit by default the way things were done. Yeah. But you have to understand it because that's kind of how the marketplace would understand it. But to, to Rick's brilliant idea of a fantasy team, that you everything is being exploded. That's so, so, some of what, a lot of what we did with this, we'll, we'll get into it hopefully, but don't just do what's been done as you even start at the earliest stage of developing the art because that's valuable to a fan base, right? right? Within reason, if the artist is comfortable with it, the collaboration can actually be content. The collaboration itself, there's a meta there. Yep. And I think the the whole idea of uh, the NFT acting as a bridge or a way for the artist to directly uh, interact with their fans right. and kind of uh, like, I don't know, a Gary V model where it's surprise and delight, right? So if somebody bought my, you know, this particular NFT, uh, that gives them access to me in certain ways, whatever those may be, and all those different kind of just interesting ways that can bring value to the fans after the purchase, I think are exciting. And I think so few people are doing that now. I mean, so many I see it's just literally the sale and we're done. Um, are are you guys seeing the same thing kind of across the NFT spectrum where it's just the the sale and we're out? Well, I've heard some, but I haven't seen it in action. So I've heard like in LA and in San Francisco, certain places that do concerts are saying they're going to give you this golden ticket. So you you pay whatever for the golden ticket. You can go to all their concerts, you have backstage passes, but they haven't really opened up and done any yet. So, I mean, if you could do something like that, maybe a global tour ticket or multiple tours, that could be really wild. I don't know what they'd go for. Um, I think it'd be super fun. Yeah. Uh, but also with, you know, going to your other point of bands. So this is the other thing interesting about bands is, let's say you, you talk about the original version one of Guns N' Roses. They weren't the best singer. They weren't the best guitarist. I'm not trying to knock them as musicians. They're great. You know, maybe guitar why Slash is one of the best, you know, top five, top 10, top 25, depending on how far back you go. But with bands, sometimes it's like a lot of things like in, in, with chefing or cooking, you don't need absolutely the best, they, but they were the best together. And that was part of the secret sauce. So when that band and they got different members and 
they were never as good as those four years when they were together as the original and how much music they cranked out and the quality, you know? Yeah. And sometimes pairings, this is what we do too. Sometimes the pairings can be two people have similar styles or complementary styles, let's say like cooking, like Mediterranean, or sometimes you put things together. I hate to use this word. I don't know if you can curse on the show. It can be kind you of can. Up. Go ahead. <laughs> um, and you you get you pair these two people that you would think never would work, like Snoop Dogg and Martha Stewart, and look sure. at what they're doing. You know, right. and it's amazing. I think the same with art. So we've talked to different artists that say, "Oh, I want this," and they say they want A, B, and C, and you give it to them, and then they don't like it, and then you pair them up with something that doesn't you wouldn't think would work, and they they work. Or same with buyers. And I'm not trying to slam the collectors or the traders, but more of the collectors. Sometimes they, they say they want a certain style and you show them a certain style and maybe two out of three buy. And then other ones, they say, I, oh, I hate this stuff. And then they see it and all of a sudden they want it. And maybe because it got in a bidding contest or it just became in vogue or maybe they changed their mind. You know. Well, I like what Eric was saying about, look, this is an opportunity for like, I do see a lot of people who are basically taking, for example, music. They're taking the existing music industry structure and they want to apply it to NFTs, right? And it's like, why would you do that when this is an opportunity to, to do right. crazy stuff? Right. And right. if you do something crazy and it works, like then That's you right. have massive. You mentioned well, not, not to get into politics, but I think kind of like if the yeah. US, if we just do the digital dollar and we just make it like the regular old US dollar, then it's, it's the same except it's digital. Then you haven't done anything really. You know, yeah, you're not helping the U.S. You're not helping other countries. So, so tell me, go on, Eric. Yeah. Eric, tell yeah. me how you decided to get with Rick and work on what. You, tell us a little bit about the project you're currently working on with him. Uh, I know the launch is coming up quick. Yes. And tell us about like how you guys got together and what you decided yes. to to work on together. Absolutely. So, I, Rick has always been my avatar in this space, going back to his earliest leadership in, in crypto and, and to his credit he's always been a thought leader and educated me and I understood it and was was kind of more theoretical and this was the first time where I saw an opportunity to actually work it into my art so because of the friendship and because of his expertise it was just a logical thing and he's been a fan of my novel which is a science fiction piece set in a an advanced wildly imaginative biotechnological future that's roughly 15,000 years from now what differentiates it is that every single artifact is a living organism for reasons that aren't entirely known, but in the distant past, thinking machines stopped servicing humanity. And so the only way we could claw ourselves back from the third dark age was through this radical biotechnological um, uh, production of what, what are called biomechs. So, Spaceships are gigantic, genetically engineered constructs that would resemble a Hercules beetle on the scale of an aircraft carrier. And they can instinctively detect home and transfer, which are the, the optimal alignments between planets that allow for, for the best journey. And they navigate them the way that birds can detect our magnetic field and, and, and navigate them. So that's the universe. It's a soldier story that follows a woman who's sent to the Jovian moon of Io to bring down someone. And things, of course, are not what 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 they appear. It's also a love story. It's got these wait, 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 wait. How many how many DMT trips did you do to, to push out this? <laughs> right, <show>? exactly. <laughs> the ayahuasca, exactly. Oh, it's the ayahuasca. Well, that's the same totally, thing, right? Just the slow burn. You know, told me I will get my turns McKenna on, who I love. So, so as you can see, like nothing about this is conventional. 
in my mind, and Rick and I had been talking a lot about this. And he said, well, you know, that sounds awesome. We should, we should think about doing something. And I said, yeah, I'd love to. And he was receptive to it. So the idea behind it was I met a guy named Lemmy Pulliam on Clubhouse, who is an African-American tenor virtuoso. He will make his debut at the LA Metropolitan Opera in um, Il Travatore. He's amazing. And the idea was, well, let's tie some music to art. Again, to this other conversation of let's not do what's been done. A book, especially this, because it's digital right now, and we'll see if we do a hardback, it should be a living thing. And so then there's a thematic link between the piece that he sings, Nessun Dorma, which is from Puccini's famous Torrendat, which is an aria about unrequited love that thematically links into a part of the book. And so what's cool about the NFT is it allows us to bring those ideas together. And uh, Rick has been involved since the very beginning and helped me understand what was required technically to do it. And now I am blessed to be working with Miami Ventures on, on bringing this, this unique piece of art, this unique artistic artifact to, to market. Cool. And how are you going to market this, uh, Rick? Well, we are going to market on a variety of different platforms. So we're going to reach out to buyers and traders that we know, but also we're going to be on social media, you know, such as Instagram, Twitter, BitCloud, Facebook, LinkedIn, and, and numerous other ones. So. Wow. So this, I mean, you guys are actually doing something that, like, like Eric said, it just do it wildly different, right? And this is wildly different. Like, certainly, you know, a book related to uh, tenor singing, uh, very different, right? Like, heard nothing about, nothing like this, right? Uh, well, we love to push the limits. And then Eric forgot to mention about picking, you know, because there's different versions of the cover, but this one being red, I'll let him right. delve into that with his sure. artist. That yeah, the, it wasn't the, the cover, yeah. yeah, thanks. I think it's I think it's really important for all these pieces the ones that have done well. Like if you listen to Blau and he talks about what he did, the amount of thought that went into it. We weren't just saying, oh, let's just grab some music. Lemmy is an amazing, iconic artist. This piece thematically speaks to dreams and, and blood and unrequited love. Without getting too heavy into it, th th there's, a, there's a pivotal piece in the story where our hero learns in a 5,000-year long nested in quantum entangled dream the truth of what's going on that was the thematic link so how do you give give that to someone the red cover which is a, a rendition of the brilliant cover that was done for for me by uh, a, an unbelievably talented artist named laura mingo whose grandfather was a world-renowned neo-impressionist from argentina and then you link the music to it and so they're meant to be consumed together as one thing that's new and if it goes well we may do more right? I didn't do illustrations because they're prohibitively expensive. And, and I want to see if there's really a market for this, for this story. I hope there is, but yep. there's no reason why with Rick's pantheon of talented artists, we can't do chapter illustrations going forward so that we get the opportunity to bring other artists into this creativity, but also to your point about how do you not do a one and done therein lies the ongoing conversation with, with our, our audience, right? Mm -hmm. In two months, we're doing this Viomech and this artist will be doing it. And here's your way that you can participate. And the great thing, as Rick said to me, is Eric, we just need two people or yep. three, right? right? That's what I love about this. Like yep. two serious collectors who hopefully are culturally at the place, but also even if they're just collectors, they get it. That's what's so cool about this. Yep. 
I re- my my personal belief is that this idea of Ooh. NFTs as a as an access point to the artist is really is really huge, and I I think people are starting to do it like uh, in these virtual worlds um, where you can join you know go into a specific area of a virtual world right. if you have that NFT, um, <laughs> and I think that's the baby step. That's like the first step, and I just think about it from you just take a band's perspective, right? A band is having a session, right? If you have this specific NFT, you can watch in as they're doing a session, right? It's like behind the scenes. It's these access points. Um, and the interesting way that artists can explore these things, uh, I just, it's so, in, there's so much. I, I just, I love what you said, Eric, where it's like, why would you do anything the same way as everybody else has always done it? This is an opportunity to do things wildly different. Um <laughs> And by doing things wildly different, you may may be able to break through some of this noise, which is out there right now, which is massive, right? There is and Adam, massive- people, people have been locked down, right? We started this conversation, you, you brought out the point that we have de-amalgamated, which is good and bad. But I think as much as it's a positive, psychologically, we are wired for group belonging. Those, that, that is the long durée of our history as a species in ways good and bad. People crave that. If 100%. you give them that, in a way that's authentic through your NFTs, through your music, entree where they're really there and they get to participate. That's that's the no insult to Spotify. That's the Spotify killer because that's what it used to be. When you bought an Aerosmith vinyl, you wanted that cover. It was you bonding with them. When you bought Queen, when you bought Earth, Wind, and Fire, Back to the Future. I think that's that's going to go to people who get that, and yeah. and people innately want that. I, I thousand percent agree. It's a, a thousand million percent. I, I do. I, people really do want that. Uh, I, yeah. It's just a matter of figuring out how it's going to work. Um, you know, but I, yeah, I mean, I've even, when I'm wor- working with this company, I've said, it's like artists no longer worrying about streams. Like the idea of, cause you know, most, most art, you can't make a living on streams. Like so few people do it. Yeah. Right. You really have to win the lotto to be able to make money at streams, right? It's just a non, it doesn't work. Yeah, it's for the few like a Taylor Swift that she can break away and then come back and renegotiate the contract. Yeah. How many Taylor Swift and Jay-Z's yes. are there? You know? I mean, and even Taylor Swift, I, I think where there's an art, you know, where she doesn't really own, you know, her first, you know, have, however many albums, right? She doesn't own that music, right? And I mean, honestly, for me, it's one of the things I hate. Like I have Spotify, right? And I listen to, I don't know, I'm listening to some songs that I like from however long ago. And these artists have re-recorded the songs so that they can make money on the songs again. Yeah. So when I listen to it on Spotify, I'm like, what the heck's wrong with this song? Because I my ear can hear it. <laughs> right. Song, yeah. right? I'm listening to it. I'm like, oh, what? Now I have to go like on YouTube and try and find their old version that I like. And now instead of, you know. <laughs> It's like the, it's, 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 it's analogous to the bundled mortgages, right? You bought these securities that were bundled uh, streams of payments from all these disparate things. They've done that to music in a weird way, right? And yep. so I think if you like artists and you want to support artists, there's an ethical argument to be made for it. But creatively, it's a different thing. Yep. And nobody's going to get rich on 0. .000084 <laughs> if you can even get them to give you honest accounting to, to both your points of when it was streamed. And I'm not, I'm not, not, that's the mark. And Spotify got it by default because the majors where I started dropped the ball. Literally, <laughs> my best friend and I from, from, we, we went to college and worked on the street together, business school together. 
got a heated nasty gram from the number two guy at Polygram saying, yeah, and since I can, you know, be a little bit, I'll, I'll, it, it said, yeah, the two Harvard schmucks can come, but tell them no fucking new media shit. That was the attitude. <laughs> they didn't like it because they were making so much money selling those $25 CDs that were one or two songs deep. And we kept saying, we thought it was going to come through the TV, but we didn't know it was going to be a singles business. And this is why we were brought in. And that's when I learned the politics of it. It was like, it was like the Spanish Inquisition. The Grand Inquisitor, the auto da fe, like we had to renounce it and just say, okay, no. And then sure enough, Napster and all that. But that's why we are where we are. Had they embraced it, to your point, the world might look very different than it does yeah. now. Yeah. So another little dirty secret about the music industry. So <laughs> whether you like vinyl or digital, I, I like both. They have, you know, they both have different good qualities. But when they first came out with CDs, they're saying, oh, it's really expensive to produce because we're not producing in many. It's new technology and the price will go down over time. But how they then purposely sabotage the vinyl industry, they use bad recycled vinyl. So when you, you bought the LP and you're like, how come the other LP sounds so good? How and then so it forced you to go you know, to CDs and then the CD prices actually never did come down. They're actually right. more expensive now than they were then. It's yeah. crazy. And, and Adam, you've got in the consumer base, if you think about it demographically, right? The oldest millennials are 40. People that were, were born between 81 and 96. And the Zoomers, the people born from 97 to the present. Very few of millennials actually really own vinyl. Zoomers never owned it. That's just another way. Their, their native behavior is, is, is ideally suited to this. They're not, you're not having to fight uh, a pre-existing notion of what this should be. So I think, again, the, the opportunities are unlimited that way. And that's the, that's the bulk. That's 140. They're the largest combined, the largest bulge of, of humans, at least in America, yep. 140 million. And they have all the purchasing power and they're the most technologically advanced homo sapiens that ever were. So I think smart people who get this are going to do incredible things. Yeah. And it's so... Uh... When I think about Spotify and I think about the way kids consume music, I have a 14 year old myself and he doesn't really, he doesn't consume it the way I did. Mm -hmm. um, and I think he misses out on a whole emotional th thing. I mean, obviously back, I mean, I still remember getting, um, my, my first album was like Stevie Wonder's Hotter Than July album and you opened it up and you know, the, the sensory experience yep. of an album and even the sensory experience of a CD, you know, with the booklet and all this sort of thing that you could read. And I think that's one of the, the things that this enables, which is a far more uh, rich sensory experience than just listening to the music. Um, what if the liner notes were embedded into his favorite game? Right. You know, I think there's an analog for everything there where it's like everyone remembers the CD Wonder or when you discovered Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, you got all broody and like, yeah. you yeah. know, pensive, like, there's an analogous experience to be had there that could also be multi-generational bonding. And I think that's what's cool because I do believe those things are hardwired into us. It's storytelling. Yep. It's the storytelling piece. It's the discovery piece. It's the coming of age piece. You just, I, I remember it very well. It's very much the same sort of experience that I think they would be amenable to provided it's presented in a way that doesn't make them feel like, oh, in our day, Yep. Well, use it to what they know and like. One of the guys yeah, well, I just in, interviewed, um, this this guy Ken Bozak, who's a he does a ton of NFTs. Like he just pumps them out to his community, um, but he does a couple things really well, which I thought were are really interesting. Which is 
when somebody buys one of his NFTs, that guy's going to get more NFTs, right? So he'll airdrop additional NFTs to people who have bought his NFTs, right? And this idea of like rewarding, right? So, I mean, a musician sells me a song and then I get a preview cut of another song that's coming out, coming to, you know, and that that's the bridge that I'm talking about. And it's just, you know, people are, Honestly, artists aren't even, I, I see so few people who are even exploring that. Um, and I guess we're just super early, right? We're, we're all, we're, we're just super early to it. What are your, what are your feelings on that? Are we just early or are people just, people don't get the opportunities available? Well, I think it's, it's a little both. Um, so in wave 2.0, we're still early. Things are going to change. They're changing every three to five weeks. And not just, you know, the consumers, but also you look at how many NFT platforms are coming, how many different, you know, people are jumping into this in different ways. Some don't capitalize, but others, you know, more true artists, but others, at least if they're capitalizing, they're, they're giving back or giving, you know, a piece or all of it to charity, which is super nice. Um, but also, I think along those lines, the other thing that's interesting is if you talk to different people, so we're talking to, you know, a lot of young collectors. And so these are people that have some means or, you know, whatnot, and they're 13 to 27. And when I talked to them, why are you buying so many FTs? And there's a couple of different categories. And one of the categories was like, well, you know, I want this in my metaverse. Someday I want an architect to build me a house or something like a house. And then I'll store all this and invite my friends over. And during COVID, they can see it. The others, you know, I'm still young. I'm still super young. So when I go to the moon or Mars, I can take this with me easily. If it's a physical piece, <laughs> and I'm going to go fit it on the, the spaceship or the plane. You're like, yep. oh, okay. <laughs> and, and, and I think that it's so true. Right? Rick told me that. And I was like, you're right. Because they will. You know, that'll be the, no big deal. Low, bro, low gravity orbit, like excursions. That's all completely real. That, and that, that's new. The other thing is, it, it, and I keep beating this drum, is this idea that 50,000 isn't your target anymore. Right, we inherit that fifty thousand million, what have you? Who cares if you're Instagram famous and you have fifty thousand followers, but you can't shake a penny out of a single one of them? You got a football stadium full of people you can't monetize. What the smart people are doing, like that person, is they're finding their super fans. Yeah, I'd rather have ten super fans than a hundred thousand people that I can't get a dollar from. And to me, money says you're serious. Money says you appreciate the value somebody else created. I'm not money fixated. But I do think it matters. And I think that's another hurdle artists have to uh, overcome that you can help them with in understanding, like, where's the where's the, the sweet spot for you economically and spiritually in terms of the value where it's worth giving these 20 people that that uh, primary access is, as you mentioned, Gary Vee is amazing. And I, I appreciate what he says on that. But he talks about that a lot as well. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I think we're we're all on the same page. It's. Um... It's so interesting. One thing you you talked about taking stuff to Mars and that that clicked for me. One thing that um, I was doing with my kid, we were doing a TikTok account for him and trying to grow his TikTok account. And uh, so he was doing Minecraft. And I said to him, look, one thing I know people love is this idea of some part of themselves being eternal mm -hmm. and the idea that something they've done in this <laughs> life will go on forever and very few people in our in the history of humanity have been done things that important where they live on forever and we can name the 10 of them or the 20 or the 100 
who come to our mind, right? Um, but then part of me says this blockchain thing is something. And the reason it clicked for me and with with my son in Minecraft because I said to him, "Look, why don't we build a wall? You build a wall in your Minecraft server, and we'll do a wall of fame. And everybody who does X for you, you'll put on the wall of fame, and all the kids can come into the server and see their name on the wall of fame." The amount of traction that got, yeah. that I, just the idea of that, people love that idea. I mean, love it like here. It hits them deep. What What are some ways do you, th you guys think that that can be done with the blockchain that people would get kind of excited about? Is it just bringing the NFTs to Mars or, or is it that I held you know, this NFT from Eric and even though I maybe held it for a year, it was mine for a year. And everybody knows that that's my wallet address. And I held Eric's NFT for a year. What do you think that's going to look like? I don't know what it's going to look like, but you know, you bring up pieces also from my past of working in gaming and also gamification. And so that reminds me of gamification when you have a, a scoreboard. And so with that theory, I mean, gamification, if you look at it, the, you know, the old, well, not the oldest, but some of the more older ways of gamification that people didn't even realize is gamification, happy hour, airline miles. But then you take it forward and you know you change the way people do things and people's behavior changes. So I'm gonna bring this up. It was actually not a COVID thing. So this is a long time ago and the state of New York wanted to have people get certain uh, vaccines, but it wasn't COVID. And they basically said, we're gonna, we're, we're going to force you to do this. And if you don't do it by three months, you know, we're going to basically not pay you. And so it was kind of a huge hurdle until it came really close to the paycheck time. And then people in New York did it. But there was a hospital in Florida that did the opposite. They took a gamification gaming approach and they said, for the people that wanted to, to uh, have their identity known, it's only inside the hospital. And they said, we'll give people badges and awards and we'll show people that got it first and everybody else can see it. Well, their participation rate was like 97%, where the other one was 70% until last minute. So along with what you did for your son, it's the same kind of theory. So, but with that, it's always changing. You know, uh, certain companies do do it, you know, some do it better than others. Um, but you, you see it, you know, um, in, in LinkedIn to, you know, different things that sometimes you don't even realize. Like there were some people we talked to a long time ago when we did this that, they actually, it's going to sound a little scary. They did gamification for brain surgery. <laughs> and what it was, was they were helping them make sure they ticked all the boxes. Right. But they also yeah. made it an extra layer of fun for the nurses and the surgeons, even though they don't do the same kind of surgery all the time. But because of that, and this was a unintended bonus consequence. So they actually became more efficient. There were less errors because they didn't make it seem like it was game. It's, it's serious stuff, but because they just made it, you know, different than you're coming in and you're doing a grind, you know, surgery A through F, but now you have all this other stuff going through it. It just made it more pleasant and, and yeah. less stressful. And so I think, you know, we are just so imaginative as people and I don't really know. I'm, I'm excited to see what we do next. On this specific one, I think right now it would be the option on Lemmy. I mean, I, I, I want to believe the same about myself, but I also don't want to be egomaniacal, but Lemmy is without question going to be an international star. And, and it will be groundbreaking because it's, it's very hard to do what he's doing full stop. And as an African-American man, 
shattering boundaries is, is incredible. So to say, hey, I own this amazing recording that he did. It's three minutes and 27 seconds long that it was done at the Regional Opera House in Springfield, Missouri of an iconic piece and arguably the most iconic art, tenor aria in opera. A savvy collector should get that. That's going to be worth a lot of money regardless right. someday. So I think it's it's very much tied to this to the to the specific piece itself, but gamification and also what you said coming from the heart. I think we all know there's like a tentacular kind of hold certain things have on our head and our heart. I just always say play to those basic human desires, not the base ones that that drive so much of social media, but we know what they are. Sure. You know? And if you hit them, you'll know, you'll see. Yeah. Well, it's funny you say that because I let a couple of people listen to Lemmy, but it was hard because I'm holding something to, you know, a phone or Zoom call and they just listened. And I didn't tell them who it was. I just said, what do you think? And everybody was in awe saying, who is this person? Is it a different Pavarotti? It doesn't sound like Andre Bocelli, but it sounds very good, whoever he is. Mm -hmm. And then to your note, though, Eric, I mean, I think you're kind of very humble in certain ways. I mean, you're your, your digital book just launched June 3rd. So, and you've been getting good traction and hopefully from this, you'll get, you know, the traction and the downloadership that you deserve. So, but so far everything I've heard from other people, you know, I have a copy obviously, but have, have, you know, been incredibly impressed and they're waiting for it to either be an audio book or also published in other languages or even some people more, they want a physical book. So. Well, I think what you guys touch on there too, is this idea of, um, of finding somebody before they become uh, famous or world-renowned, uh, that hasn't even, we haven't even touched that yet, right? Yeah. Like so few people are in the space that we're not even, the potential of that is massive, right? The potential to find a, a musical group or artist before they're famous and they launch, I mean, this is what, I mean, so many, when I've, I've talked to artists who wanna release on our platform, and you know they're like well how many versions should i do i'm like you might want to keep it small because yeah, keeping yeah. it small it gets this idea of like oh i was i was one of the first who found him when i was one of the first and he only did a hundred right of this song right and i have one of the hundred and now he's famous but guess what i have one of his first hundred so you hold like this special place um it's just really interesting to see how this is all going to play out. And having yeah, I mean, a point of view, have a vision. Barry Gordy, Clive Davis, Phil Spector. We won't talk about the personality, but these people are artists in their own right. Ahmet Erdogan, who I mentioned as well, my old boss. They took shots. They made calls. They made very subjective decisions that were informed by who they were as people and what they liked. I think one of the things that has been detrimental is the homogenization of, of the executive decision-making across all media, people like, like me, MBA types, but who look through the analysis and, and the history tells us that it's always the visceral and you're either right or you're wrong. Yep. If you, and I think, I believe you get better at it by doing it more. It, it's, a, it's a gut call. So it, again, to your practice, and certainly what I'm gonna do is you could be hundred percent wrong, but I'm gonna be wrong in something that I'm absolutely convicted about. That's the only thing worth doing. I agree with you hundred yeah. percent. I got to ask you now, because we, we talked very, very briefly uh, before before the we started the pod. Um, you're in Medellin, Colombia. I got to know why. How did you land? Yeah, sure. 
Um, it was a spiritual journey. I think part of it was maybe wanderlust. I'd been in America too long. And I, I, I love the United States, don't get, don't get me wrong, but my biography is such that the first 15 years, largely I was out of America. And I think I had just reached a place spiritually in LA. And yeah, some of it, the ambient politics without getting into it, we all know why. Sure. I was looking I was looking for something different. And I initially came here with the, the idea that I would just explore for three months, then three months became six, six became nine. And now I'm going on, on you know, two years. And it's what, what drew me to it was it's this emerging digital hub. So there are some people that are dabbling. You're right. It's, it's very spotty because of the socioeconomics, but I have met a couple of people that are in this space and they're, they're children of privilege, but they're good kids and they're very smart. And um, it's just really welcoming and warm in Medellin. It's such a lovely city. I, I kind of yeah. say it reminds me of what people talk about Albuquerque or Taos, New Mexico, fused with pre-technology San Francisco. Yeah. In a city that's arboreal. And I, I'm sure it's like that for you in Costa Rica. Like they haven't killed nature here. Yeah. It's so, no, that. it's, it's interesting because, you know, the, the view of Medellin for most <laughs> Americans is, you know, oh, that's like Pablo Escobar drugs, right? <laughs> like that's what you think about when you hear Medellin. But for totally. people who live in Central and South America, they know Medellin to be a beautiful, no. very inexpensive, nice place to live, right? Exactly. Um, so it's interesting. <laughs> just when somebody from America lands there, I'm like, wow, something had to. I want to hear the yeah, story, because because sure. because most people from America would never go to Medellin. Oh, absolutely. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, people are all like, oh, and I'm like, I just, I just said, stop watching Narcos, and I love exactly <laughs> season one and two, but it was it was really. The other, the other option for me, it was that, so this was the thought process is I need to go somewhere else. Right. And I was thinking about Chiang Mai, but I wanted to stay in this hemisphere. So I think probably yeah. that was it. And then it was just what I heard. But for me, psychologically, it wasn't that big of a leap, Adam. It's I'm sure I, you, you may have gone through a similar process to get to Costa Rica. It was just part of it was flight and part of it was being drawn to a place. Um, and my first impressions were it's a beautiful city. The people are warm. They did a great job. That was 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Are there some elements of that? Of course there are, but it's sure. nothing like what it was then. They've invested a lot in infrastructure, invested a lot in technology infrastructure. And so I feel like this is a very warm, welcoming city where it made a lot of meaningful connections, but I wasn't off put by, by sort of the name because unfortunately I knew enough and it, I, I, I just wasn't scared. And the other thing that's interesting about when you leave the States, the reportage is, I mean, there are more drive-by shootings in LA on a, on a given day, right? right? And it, I'm not disparaging, these are objective facts, right? right. So I'm, right. I'm good, yeah. So what, after your, tell me, Rick, what, what's the plan for your company? Is it right now you're just looking to onboard new artists and promote new artists? What's your kind of six month, one year plan for the company and where you see it in a year, two years out? Yeah, so we're, you know, white glove consulting. We do the media, the PR, we also help the artists, but it's artists of all different else. Some are, okay, some are uh, NFT OGs. I can't say who they are, but some are moderately successful. Some have been struggling. So we're working with all different elks and we really just want to push the boundaries. And then it's to then also help them, hopefully, uh, you know, flip them so that they can get compensated again, you know, so they get their royalties, unlike in the traditional 
music industry or art industry or even for novels and books and other things. Um, so, you know, that's part of the journey and we're just, and we're just trying to see, you know, how differently we can do things. And because we're willing to push the boundaries, there's going to be some that really don't succeed. Sure. And then other ones that are just going to surprise us. Uh, so I was thinking about going back to you, what you were saying for your platform, and you probably know this, but in the last decade, one of the biggest musicians, he was discovered on YouTube, Justin Bieber. Sure. Um, so maybe one of the things you could do in addition is, you know, have a contest, you know, but on your platform of artists wanting to get discovered and then having maybe the, your fans vote who are going to be some of the judges and then have other things where one of the fans can be a judge. And then it's so very interactive. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. There's no, there's no right way. It's just, you're just, you're just trying stuff. Right. Sure. Um, and that's I, also part of the fun, the journey. Oh I mean, no, absolutely. Every day you get up, it's different and you meet different people and you hear their stories and you're like, okay, we have this. Have you thought about, you know, cause we're also doing a lot of collabs. So have you mm -hmm. thought about collabing with a person like this? And so with a lot of different artists, it, and this is the new, I mean, we're not doing it because it's a trend, but we're doing it so it's also they create different art. So we have a lot of different artists we're talking to and they're you know exploring different collabs. And so that is just immensely fun. It's just like if you have somebody comes in and let's say they're a jazz musician and they play all these riffs and then you have somebody else that comes in and plays the blues and this person plays electronica and they're like, what an odd combination. They, they just start, there's no music. They just, because they know their own craft and they know how to blend, create different stuff. And you all of a sudden you're sitting there and you're like, wow, this is really cool. Yeah. Clive Davis, that was his MO. He would get 10,000 or a thousand kids in a, an auditorium and play singles. They obviously, they had been vetted to a certain place. So methodologically that works. And one of the other conceptual insights now in this time is process is content provided it's at a certain level processes content to your fans. It is. And the other thing that I saw there and also at Activision with programmers, artists love other artists. What Rick is doing, which is so smart and so generous is creating this space in his Tuesday rooms where people of all different strata can get together, connect organically, support each other, learn from each other, work together without what normally happens, which is you have this instant stratification and, 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 and it is what it is, but I think it's a genius idea. And also it comes from a very good place. Tell me well, a, little thank you. That, a little bit about that, Rick, how you're, you're trying to connect artists together. Well, so, well, we're doing a couple of different levels. So there's our artists and then there are other artists. So the two, so we have the Tuesday room on clubhouse that's open to everybody. And right now, you know, we're just picking two platforms, although we're platform agnostic, we're crypto agnostic. We, we have cryptos that we like, but this is right now just to help the artists. And afterwards, they can go back and say, oh, I need this to, to pay rent and I need you know, some fiat if they need fiat or I need, you want to convert back to BTC. But, you know, they can come in and help each other. Um, and so I, I've seen it in numerous ways. So back in you know, the old days, I remember I was going in on Sunday to work when I worked on Wall Street in San Francisco and nothing was open. So I went to a McDonald's and there was a homeless person in front of me. And, you know, felt really bad for him. And he's coming in. He got a coffee with three creams. So he gets his change. What does he do with his change? He throws it in the uh, McDonald's charity, which you're shocking. This guy's homeless. He can't even afford food, but yet he gives it away. But these, And so this isn't just about America. It's the same. So what I've noticed about these different rooms, and we've had it happen where different artists come in. Some are struggling, but they hear the art, other artist story and they go, I want to buy one of your NFTs to support you. 
Yeah. And so I've seen this, it, it, it's regardless of us, but we're hoping that we can help amplify it and bring more artists in because I, you know, the, every, everybody helps everybody else. And you can stand on each other's shoulders. Yep. I, I mean that for me, that, that just highlights when the rest of the world enters the space, mm -hmm. uh, it has the potential to support, you know, what, whatever the X number of artists now who can actually make a living as artists, you know, times a hundred or times a thousand or whatever it is, it's just going to be amazing. And you see it already. And I'm, I've already met and talked with artists who could never make a living previously, graphic artists, digital designers who basically had to work, you know, for Adobe or whoever, you know, at a regular job sure. doing their art for, you know, a regular company and now can actually make a living, you know, as an artist doing what they want creatively all day long. And, and I think when the mainstream gets in here and that money floods in, uh, it's just, I'm, it's so exciting. I, I just, it, I literally shake with how exciting it is. <laughs> and I think you guys feel the same way. Uh, Absolutely. I, I think we'll wrap it up there. We're at the hour. You guys, thank you so much for joining me, both of you guys. It's great to finally talk to you. And um, I guess we'll have, have a great day, guys. Adam, it was Thanks so honor. much, Adam. Yeah, yeah thanks. Really <laughs> enjoyed it.